If you have your Bible with you, as I always hope you do, uh, please open it at Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is our destination. But please pray with me as we pay attention to God's word this morning. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the light of your word will illuminate the path of life for us today and that we will learn to watch our steps carefully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now friends, one of the, um, one of the Bible's favourite metaphors for life is a path, a road, a way. And uh, Bible readers among us might like to think for a moment of examples. I've noticed uh, we've had two church services this morning and in different parts of the Bible that have appeared, uh, some I've had some part in choosing and some I haven't, I've noticed this metaphor cropping up. It's a uh, a very common metaphor in the scriptures. Our first Bible reading uh, had this promise to the Israelites in the exile. You remember the words? Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, the path, walk in it. Those Israelites, uh, at least those of them who were aware, knew that they'd taken a wrong road. They were lost. But one day, the prophet Isaiah said, there will be a voice calling you onto the right path. A whole lot earlier uh, in the Bible story, God had said to Moses about the law that he would teach them, you shall make known to them the way, the path in which they must walk and what they must do. Um, I wonder whether Psalm 23 comes to your mind. Do you remember the words in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's a rich image. Life is a path along which we walk. The way is sometimes hard going. Uh, The path is steep, sometimes slippery perhaps. It passes through some dark valleys. It also takes us to sunlit heights. One day we find the road smooth and easy. Another day it becomes rough with boulders here and there and potholes and ditches. And we come to junctions where the path seems to divide. How do we decide whether to take this path or this? It's not difficult, is it, to think about the course of our lives and even that language suggests this image, doesn't it, as a path along which we've been walking and indeed which we are still walking. But the Bible uses this image to teach us something crucial about life. For it's not as though everyone has their own individual life path, which it's up to each one of us to make. Many of us, I think, tend to think about life like that. Uh, You know, you can talk about your career path, 
you can talk about and think about setting your personal life goals and then going about mapping out how you will get there. From time to time in life, you make a kind of course correction, a change of direction. Now, that's all very well at the level at which it's, uh, it's working, but the Bible is using this image differently. In the way in which the Bible speaks about life as a path, we don't make the path. It's already there. We walk the path. And you might remember how Jesus used this image and pointed out that in reality there are just two paths. You're walking along one or the other and which path you are walking is of very great importance because you see there is a, a wide, easy road, Jesus said. It's taken by many but it leads to destruction. There is a narrow, hard path taken by few, but it leads to life. Now, as I've been enjoying very much indeed our studies in Paul's letter to the Ephesians over the past few months, and I'm sure you have been enjoying them too, but it has struck me that at least one thing that is happening in this profoundly rich letter, and I think every time you come to it, you see fresh things. Uh, there is so much there. But at least one thing that is happening in this letter is that the Apostle Paul is taking this metaphor, this picture, this image of life, our walk along life's path, to help us to take life with utmost seriousness. Because it is. Serious. So do you remember in chapter 2, verse 2, how he referred to the way in which you once walked? Following the course of this world is the way in which he put it. In other words, like everyone else, thoughtlessly just following our own desires and passions. That path in which we once walked was literally a dead end. But we're no longer on that path. And Paul insists on this. Because, you remember how Mickey used this image for us, because we have been strapped on to Jesus Christ, so to speak, the risen from the dead Jesus Christ. We're now on a new path with a different destination. We now walk, as he puts it in chapter 2, verse 10, we now walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand. Very different kind of life. And this letter is helping, to, helping us to see how very, very important and absolutely brilliant this is. We noticed how the second half of the letter began with this same image as Paul earnestly urged his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Chapter 4, verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called because it's a very great privilege to be walking this path. How should we walk along this road? That's the subject of chapters 4, 5 and 6 of the letter. And one fundamental point which we saw in chapter 4, verse 17 is that we must not, as we walk this path, wander back onto the old path. Walking along as the nations do, is how he put it in 4, verse 17, in the futility of their minds. 
that old path along which we were once walking, it leads nowhere good. And if you come across a side road that takes you back onto the path of alienation from God, of ignorance of God, of God-denying living, you must not take it, says Paul. Are you serious, he would say to us? Even contemplating getting back on that old road, we are walking this new road precisely because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Chapter 5, verse 2. We must walk as loved children. That's what we're doing. And it doesn't get better than this, he is saying, no matter how rough the path might be. Or to change the image slightly, as he does in chapter 5, verse 8, we are walking in the light. We walk as children of the light. We mustn't veer off into the darkness again. See, the adventure of the Christian life, and it is an adventure, is walking the path on which God has placed us. We don't make this path. It's been made for us by Jesus and his resurrection. It has a destination. We are on the road that is leading to the day when all things will be united under the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what life is about on this road. All things coming under the brilliantly wonderful Lordship of Christ. Now, a very important aspect of this way of understanding of life as the Bible presents it for us and as particularly Ephesians presents it for us, this path we are walking, it's not something that involves just part of our lives. It's not like a career path. You know, those of you who are pursuing a career path, you're walking along a a career path, some things are relevant to your career and other things are kept separate from your career and you try and get a kind of balance. You don't like one to intrude into the other too much. Uh, We call it a work-life balance. The path that's been opened up for us to walk by the resurrection of Jesus is not a path that we walk along some of the time, like, you know, when we're in church and when we're saying our prayers or when we're thinking about God. No, Every part of our lives is to be lived on this path. Uh, We don't have a God-life balance. Very important. We will see in coming weeks that we walk this path in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, and so on. Now, That's been a very lengthy introduction. I get it. But I'm trying to get away with it this week because Mickey has been kind enough to assign me a very short passage in Ephesians. He knew that wouldn't end up with a short sermon. I think he knew that. Uh, But this short passage, um, sort of, I got carried away with the introduction. I get that. But this short passage is, is where Paul is drawing his use of this metaphor together. Uh, On my account, this is the seventh and final time in this letter that he refers to our walk along the path of life. 
And this is how he puts it, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Okay, we've got to the text at last, 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. That's our theme this morning. Look carefully how you walk. If you're beginning to see this life as a path idea, Paul says, and you're starting to learn what what, what Paul has been teaching us and what the whole Bible has been teaching us about life using this image, and you understand that the path you are walking along is no longer following the course of this world, then you've got to be careful. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to be serious. You really don't want to carelessly slip off this path. You don't want to take a wrong turn. You don't want to stumble. So pay attention. Watch your step. Okay, what does that mean? As I've been reflecting on this little paragraph that's before us this morning uh, through recent days, it seems to me that what Paul sets before us can be crystallised into what I'm going to call six tips. Tips for carefully walking along the path of life, the path that has been opened up for us by Jesus and his resurrection. Tip one is simple, but I think worth hearing. Tip one is this, don't be stupid. That's what he says, isn't it, in verse 15? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be stupid. Which he explains then in verse 16, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I remember many years ago a young, earnest, conscientious young man who complained to an older, wiser teacher, a complaint you might often hear, a complaint you might often utter, I just don't have enough time. He received the rather blunt reply, you have exactly the same amount as everyone else, 60 minutes in every hour, 24 hours in every day. Paul says here, the days are evil. Meaning, I take it, that we are living in an age of evil, an age of ignorance, an age of foolishness, an age of darkness, an age of God-denial. Who would dispute that? It takes care to use the time that we are given well. It's not smart, it's really not smart to use the time we are given for evil, any evil. Am I going to use this day, today, that I've been given for selfishness, anger, carelessness, Demanding? That's stupid. Time is a precious gift. How about being kind? Being truthful? Being courageous? Being faithful? 
making the best use of the time, walking in the good works which God has prepared beforehand. Actually, quite literally, the phrase is here, redeeming the time. See, the time in our age has been filled with all sorts of foolish nonsense and godlessness. The smart thing to do is to redeem the time, to use it for the good that God has set before us to do. But it's even a bit more than that. Paul has said quite a bit about wisdom in this letter and it's mainly been about God's wisdom and God's wisdom is seen in his plan. There is a plan for the whole of God's creation. So life tip number two builds on don't be stupid. You see in verse 17, uh, which I sum up as don't miss the point of it all. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Among the many crises that we are told we are in at the moment, and there are no end of them, and they can't be explained simply, but within the mess of life at the moment, there is, we are told, and I think this is right, there is a crisis of meaning, of purpose. Too many young people, and not just young people, feel a sense of meaninglessness, purposelessness. And it's got to a stage where it's actually alarming. And there are various attempts, you'll hear them from various voices, to address that problem. But the fullest solution is right here before us, if you've got your Bible open. Verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding what the will of the Lord is, is not first and foremost about the little decisions we may be faced with in life from time to time. You know, we often use that kind of language, don't we? We're trying to discern the Lord's will, whether to take this job or that job or not to take a job at all, uh, whether to pursue this relationship or not to do so, whether to buy this house or whatever it might be. Now, those are all, of course, important in their own way. But understanding what the will of the Lord is means grasping as best we can God's plan for everything. See, according to the Bible, the most foolish thing that a person can do is to live as though there is no God. There is nothing more foolish than that. But wisdom is not just understanding that God is there, of course he is, but that he has a plan. In a nutshell, to bring all things together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To bring all things together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, I have to admit to you, I struggle to understand what it means. But what I'm learning is that it is the point of it all. The path we are walking has this destination. All things brought together, united under the Lord Jesus Christ. So tip two is really think about that. Be be wise enough to find the purpose of your life in God's plan. 
Tip three. It's not all about you. Which Paul puts like this in verse 18. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible has quite a lot to say about drunkenness. I can sum it up like this. It's not a good idea. Drunkenness lowers inhibitions, um, reduces self-control, so drunkenness is a rather extreme expression of self-indulgence, which is at the same time self-destructive. That's the sense of that word debauchery. We don't want to go down that road or anything like it. That's not the path we are walking The opposite alternative is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, there are those of us who've been Christians for a while and saying, what's he going to say about that? Because we know that over the years there have been lots of toing and froing among Christians about what being filled with the Spirit means. And I wouldn't be surprised that uh, a gathering like this, there are a number of us have got different ideas about that. I I don't want to get into that discussion now. Uh, do it some other time, but not now. Uh, I just want to notice that it seems to mean here exactly what Paul was praying for in chapter 3, verse 19. I wonder whether you remember this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't be full of yourself, which is expressed in an extreme way in drunkenness. That's destructive. No, Walk the path of life full of God. Have God in my thinking. Have God in my understanding. Have God in my affections. Have God in my ambitions. Have God in my character. Have God in my home. Have God in my marriage. Better by far than life being all about me. Now those words, be filled with the Spirit in verse 18, be filled with God, are then followed for the rest of our passage with a series of participles that show what being full of God will involve. So verse 19 addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, which we could sum up as tip number four, walk together. See, friends, we may be conscious, um, very often conscious, I think, these days particularly, that the path of life that we are walking, yeah, it is narrow. And yeah, there are relatively few people walking this path. I'll tell you what, there's more than one. We are walking together. And that's important. You see, being filled with God does not turn us in on ourselves and our individual relationship with God. No, it makes us thrilled to discover that there are other people who are delighted to be filled with God. And they're walking the same path with us. 
You may have noticed from time to time this verse 19 is very often taken to be about our singing in church. Now that's okay, but we shouldn't restrict the idea in that way. This is about how we walk. We walk with others and there is joy and love and mutual encouragement in that. We speak to one another. We sing together. We lift one another's hearts to the Lord. And how important that is. Not just when the path is relatively smooth and sunny, but especially when it's rough, tough going. Don't even try to do it alone. Tip five, we'll do five and six quickly. Five, walk together thankfully. So in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the obvious features of life today, and it's often commented on, um, the course of this world, as Paul describes it, but one of the features today um, that is very easy to observe is how much of life on the course of this world is fuelled by resentment. A whole lot of the politics, a whole lot of the cultures kind of stuff that's going on is precisely that, fuelled by resentment. Everyone has something to be resentful about. Now, that's actually true. All of us have suffered some kind of misfortune that other people have not. True. All of us can see others who've been privileged in ways that we have missed out on. True. To walk the path of life resentfully is kind of understandable, but it's miserable. We must be careful not to walk that way. And walking together helps us to walk thankfully. Because you see, we help each other to see what the Lord has done for us. We help each other always, in all circumstances, to see the goodness of God, particularly because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Walk the path of life, giving thanks And there's one more, the last of these tips. Six, independence is overrated. Verse 21, that's what it says, doesn't it? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, one of the obvious missteps of today's world is the idea that dependence equals weakness. Independence equals strength. Independence, good. Dependence, bad. That's not how life works. Not in God's world. We have not been called to a life of independence. We've been called to a life of dependence. We've not been called to the path of the independent, self-made man or woman. No. We've been called to dependence, first on our Saviour Christ, but then dependence on others. Dependence on others. 
and it's good. We have trouble with that verse 21, I think, largely today with, with one word in it. You notice which word it is, don't you? Submitting. We have trouble with that word in our day because we've swallowed the lie that independence is best. And we've swallowed the other lie that what matters in human relationships is who has power over whom. But what if that's not what life is like? What if on the path of life that we are walking we are loved children who've learned to love one another? And what if submitting to one another means submitting to the love of others? What if it means admitting that we need the love of others and we walk together the path of life like that? Okay, six tips for being careful how you walk. I thought of turning this into a book and call it Six Rules for Life, uh, but um, that's already been written, that book. It's called The Letter to the Ephesians. Six tips. Think about them with me just as we close. Don't be stupid. Use the time you are given well. And think about that. Two, don't miss the point of it all. Be wise enough to find the purpose of your life in the plan of God for his whole creation. Three, it's not all, being about, sorry, it's not all about being full of you. It's not you do you. Be filled with God. Four, Walk together with a song in our hearts. Five, walk together thankfully, thankfully, all the time. Six, independence is vastly overrated. Submit to one another's love. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the path that has been opened up for us by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We thank you for being joined to Christ by faith in him. We pray as we walk the path of life that you have given us and on which you have placed us, we pray that you'd help us to be careful, to walk well. We pray that we might do that this very day. In Jesus' name, amen.